Welcome to Season 2 of Between Two Blue Devils. I'm Mark Horner, your host, and this is a podcast featuring teachers, administrators, alumni, and community members of the beautiful city of Talmadge, Ohio. This podcast is about stories, their stories, the stories of people who love kids, love their city, and love the pursuit of education. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, feel free to share the podcast with a friend, tweet it out, post it on Facebook, snap it out, be sure to leave a review. And now without further ado, I bring you season two. Kick back, grab a cup of coffee from Crimson Cup, and enjoy getting to know some of the amazing people who love Talmadge and love our kids. Welcome to Between Two Blue Devils with Mr. Horner and his special guest, Coach Johnson. Well, thank you for that awesome interview or introduction. I'll have to sit you down for an interview, but I uh, HIPAA violations, I can't reveal your name on air right now, but that was a great introduction. We have another episode between, in front of a live audience this morning. And uh, this is a special one, one that I've been really excited. We've been talking about this for a long time, but Coach Johnson is sitting down with us after a very interesting uh, and thought-provoking basketball season. And he's gonna share a little bit about who he is and a little bit about what it's like to be coaching during a pandemic. Uh, before we do get into this interview, please remember to push this out on whatever social media platform you are on subscribe to the podcast, listen to it, and make sure that you get Coach Johnson's message out there to all of our listeners and all of your friends and all of our potential basketball players and their families. This is going to be a good one. Coach Johnson, wait, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's, uh, it is early. This is an early one this morning, so I'm only about maybe three sips of coffee in, <laughs> so I may stumble over my words. I might even call you by a different name. I'm not sure. Uh, but I got to get the caffeine levels up. You were just talking about caffeine. What, what are you sipping on this morning? Just a little Sprite, look, non-caffeine Sprite. Uh, had some, uh, a big Coke fan, big Coca-Cola fan, and had some, some health things go on earlier in the year and had to give up some caffeine. So still get my sugar out of it, but uh, not a coffee guy. So I have to just, in the morning, I got to do it on my own. Got to get my energy up by myself. So you cut out all caffeine. I cut out all caffeine. I, I, cold uh, turkey. <laughs> cold turkey. Right, I was just all caffeine. I was drinking probably, realistically, I was probably drinking 10, 10 Coca-Colas a day. Wow. And that was not including some Red Bull here and there. And Yeah, I was not the healthiest person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a positive choice that you've made <laughs> yeah. to give that up. Well, you know, I think we all have our periods. I can remember when I was in college, uh, I was probably pounding equal amount of Mountain Dew. That was my uh, my beverage of choice, and to get me through the long work days before I got into teaching, uh, but made that choice. And then once I gave up pop, it's been amazing. I very very seldom do I even like it. Like I'll take a sip of it every once in a while to remember what it tasted like. I'm like, yeah, it's just too sugary. But I do crave the carbonation. I keep a uh, I have a. 20 ounce Coke in my office uh, that is has about two sips out of it because that was the last two sips I've had of Coke since I had the health issues. I keep it there as a reminder, don't drink this. 
That's 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 a great idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have a couple. Of, well, I have a lot of visual cues in here. Uh, a lot of it's just history, but a lot of it's very intentional for that same reason yeah. to kind of hold me accountable, mm -hmm. keep me in check, uh, remind me of what you know what my purpose is to to stay focused. Uh, so those visual cues are, you know, have them strategically placed. Uh, that's a great strategy. Yeah. yeah it, I look at it every day and I say, okay, I'm not going to drink this today. You know, that's, and it's been, it's been good. Yeah. One day at a time. Yep. Yep. I like it. And that's a tough thing to do to give up uh, caffeine. So coach, tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, I know you've been in Talmadge sporadically uh, over the past couple years and, and your journey in education and as a teacher and as a coach is taking you many different ways. Um, let's begin with this. Just tell us a little bit about you and your family. Yeah. So, um, I am married to uh, my wife Annie. We've been we'll be married four years in July. Uh, we have a fifteenth month fifteenth fifteen month old daughter at home right now who is uh, starting to walk and boy, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy times at home. Um, it's a whole new world when they start yeah, to walk. It's awesome. It's fan. I mean, I love it. I love every day I get to go home and and uh, spend time with her. Uh, now that the season's over. It's the time gets a little bit you know greater, which is nice. But uh, yeah, we live in Stowe. Um, we've lived at, uh, we bought a house in Stowe three years ago, about 15 minutes from here. So it's nice. It's, uh, my whole family's from Cuyahoga Falls and most of them still live there. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're close to family, which is a big part of my life. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, life is good, uh, at home, you know, and, um, so thankful to have a, a wife who's so supporting of what basketball coaches lives yeah. are and, um, you know, this year was strange because in my, I think Annie and I have been together for seven years and um, I can remember like four games she hasn't been to, mm -hmm. you know, and then this year obviously having the, our daughter at home, we didn't want to bring her out and um, so, you know, she was still watching at home on, on, on our TV, which was nice, yeah. but so supportive and um, understands <clears throat> the game, so she's able to kind of talk with me about things mm -hmm. and so that's nice you know to be able to kind of wind down when you go home and be able to do that yeah that's a key component to a successful relationship you know when there's you know care there's understanding there's empathy uh there's you know self-interest i mean there's interest right. in, in what what your passion is uh, i know in the past i mean your wife always sits behind you uh, and when you're playing a game, I mean, are, are there moments during the game where you just kind of look up to her and you get that kind of visual yeah, affirmation? I, or I, I think it's just, it, it's a comfort to know she's there. Yeah. Um, I would say that about, you know, it's, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, my coaches prior, but, you know, uh, my brother and my family, when, when they're at the games, it, it's a little bit of a sense of relief, you know, just to see somebody there that you know has your back and, mm -hmm. and uh, um, and I think her sitting right behind the bench, I can get a, a grasp of her sitting up there and clapping and cheering for our team. And it, it does take a little bit of the stress off, mm -hmm. um, for sure. And it's kind of sometimes you don't even realize it. You know, you saying that to me made me think, yeah, it does. It does. It is nice to go up there and look and see her. And um, I can't wait. I, Abby's been at one game. She was able to get to one game last year. She was three or four, two months old, three months old. <laughs> and we decided to take her to one game. And um, it was awesome to see her there, too. And but I, think I, I, more, I think I remember yeah. I think more people paid attention to, to <laughs> her yeah, than, I know. than I'm, what was going I'm on. Sure, on the court. I'm sure. And uh, so I'm excited for, you know, things to kind of normalize a little bit and her be able to, to be there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got to be very, very different now when you, you get home 
and then that allows you to kind of catch up to speed with with your wife and to kind of hear her you know we were talking about perception a little bit earlier and it's very different when you're watching the game yeah and you see different aspects of the game now because you're watching it on television mm -hmm. and sometimes you can actually hear uh stuff that's going on right so. yeah yeah you know i think um i would say that she's de she was in she would even try to make sure that um at halftime you know abby goes to bed pretty early but she would try to keep abby up for a half and then put her to bed at halftime so she could really focus in on the second half and you know when when we would talk about the game she, she would have a good perspective but i think you're right it's not the same as as being there live either there's there's definitely differences yeah. so um but we're you know we have a she knows we have a great relationship in the fact that what do i engage with and what do i not you know is there certain topics that i just leave off the board and um, or do you want to talk about something? And I think we've developed that over years. I mean, it, ha it didn't happen right away. You know, yeah. we, we push buttons, you know, but now, and that's not just basketball-wise. That's, I think that's all, all the time in life. And I think as we have grown as a, in our relationship, we have learned, okay, let's just take a break here and not engage. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. And I think that's a basketball thing, but also a life thing. Oh, sure. Any if you want to have a successful relationship you got to pick up on those cues and and you've got to understand uh, what really riles your your significant other up and what doesn't you know kind of those unapproachable i mean not unapproachable but sometimes you just don't want to touch on some of those subjects because you just know right it might cause a, a little disturbance in the relationship now there are a lot of books out there and i'm going to throw this book out there for all of you and recommend it to coach johnson but there's a great book called the five love languages <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this earlier this week so that's why i'm bringing it up again but uh but again the, the basic concept is knowing knowing how your partner responds right yeah and, and knowing what what their love language is and how to speak to them in that language and uh, it sounds like uh, you and your wife have a, a fantastic relationship. So you've been together for seven years. How did you meet? Uh, so uh, we actually met through our coaching circle. Um, one of my good friends that I met when I was coaching at Hudson, she was the head, got the head girls job at Streetsboro. And Annie, uh, through her channels, uh, started helping her out and was an assistant. And um, we would, you know, go out to dinner or whatever after games. We'd do a summer league together and we would see each other and kind of met through that. And then one night I got um, a little brave and asked her if she wanted, <laughs> I, I had heard that Annie likes to play sports and do these do recreational things. And so I asked her if she wanted to come play on our volleyball team. Um, we played a sand volleyball out of Kent Lanes. And yeah. so um, one thing led to another. And a week later we were going to an Indians game for a date. And seven years later, here we are with Abby <laughs> at home. and. You know, so that's that's it. That's it's funny. My my relationship with my wife centered around volleyball and her love of basketball as well, and conjuring up some courage to actually, uh, you know, approach her. But so Annie coached basketball. Yeah. So she's obviously she's a nurse, and uh, she wasn't able to do it full time, but she volunteered and helped out as much as she could at Streetsboro for I think two or three years. Um, she also coached track there as well. But then, um, you know, once we moved this way and. Uh, she she kind of gave that up and just strictly you know stuck to the nursing aspect of it. But yeah, she she loves the game. Wow. So I, the the question I think everybody wants to know is uh, who who's the better volleyball player, you or Annie? <laughs> I'm going to say the right thing here and say it's her. Uh, it's you know it was 
I'll tell you, that's one of the things. I'm a very competitive person. I, my nature is to be competitive. I, I, uh, I've learned as I've gotten older that there are certain things that you don't have to be competitive at and sand volleyball <laughs> when you're out there with friends and just having fun and it's just going out on a Friday night and, and having some fun. It doesn't need to be competitive. I think early on we would get in some arguments about our play <laughs> or her play and, and I've learned to, uh, to back off that a little bit <laughs> and uh, it, it's a lot more fun now and we haven't played in a couple of years because of Abby and because of COVID but I think we'll get back at it and she's good. She's yeah, yeah she's good. Yeah, we, it's so funny you would mention that because my wife and I played a lot of competitive volleyball as well. And uh, we played sand leagues and then we played grass leagues. And I can remember I was hyper competitive as well. And by that point, my wife played college volleyball. And I, I'll remember, I remember in the sand as well as on the grass, two very specific incidents where she didn't dive to dig a ball. <laughs> and I got on her, I'm like, why aren't you diving to dig that ball? And she's like, I'm not diving in the grass or I'm not diving, I'm not getting all sandy. And we got into arguments about it. Yep. And I had those, in both moments, I'm like, why am I arguing over this? I think it'd be better just to find another partner and salvage my marriage or just stop being so hyper competitive. Uh, I think one of the things you'll learn as you get older is there are certain battles you choose to pick. Yeah. And, and I think I was always the one who picked every battle. And I had, to, I had to have it a certain way. And I'm still a little stubborn. I mean, Annie's can be too. But So we've learned to kind of what battle are we picking amongst each other. And yeah. sand volleyball wasn't the one I needed to be picking. So <laughs> That's not the one we want to yeah. work. So very good. So you've been married for seven years and you have... You have a child. Married for four. Or four years. Then yep. you've been together for seven yep. years. Uh, now, you mentioned a moment ago that you are from Cuyahoga Falls. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so, graduated in 2003 from Cuyahoga Falls. Uh, my whole, grew up there my entire life. My whole family's from there. Um, great experience at, at Falls. Um, you know, it's uh, back when I went, and I know it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but it, it, it was. Uh, it, the community seemed smaller. You know, it was it was more of a Talmadge feel as far as, um, you know, it just it's huge now. I mean, and it was big, but it it just felt smaller. Um, and I had great relationships with teachers and um, coaches and really really good friends. Um, still talk to a few of them now that you know we you know, we're not best friends, but when we see each other, it's nice to see mm -hmm. each other. And, um, so yeah, it, it, for me, Cuyahoga Falls was a great experience. So do you have, uh, when you think back on your time at Cuyahoga Falls, tell us a little bit about, I mean, do you have a favorite teacher or favorite teachers? So I had a 10th grade, let me get this right. And I had an 11th grade language arts teacher, uh, Mrs. Clark. And um, I, I think she's at Green now. I believe she's at Green. And so she had this, so I, I thought I was gonna be a writer and a journalist. And so I would try to write crazy stuff and she had this I had this love for Charles Barkley and I still do and she shared my love for Charles Barkley huh. so in every paper that I would write for her I would find a way to include Charles Barkley <laughs> and she, I think she would wait for it and love it and and we just kind of had that connection um, that it worked and and we still to this day when we have, we've ran into each other a few times and uh, <laughs> we just laugh about it because it's so, it's funny you know, to, to be able to have a stupid connection yeah. like that, I always put it into all my papers and she got a kick out of it. But she, more than that, 
I just felt comfortable. Yeah. You know, and I think that was it. It wasn't, it was the fact that she made me feel comfortable to have, to be able to be a little silly, but also yeah. get the job done, um, which was great. And then, you know, Coach Manier, uh, I never had him as a teacher, but I mean, I, I mean, I still call him coach. I mean, yeah. he's like a father figure to me. And um, so th- those relationships, I mean, those were my two guys that I would, uh, two people I would look at the most that I, when I go back to the days, but there wasn't, I didn't have a bad experience there. Mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I felt, I felt really comfortable. I felt like the teachers cared about us. And um, so it made my, it made my day-to-day life pretty, pretty easy. That's awesome. So when you reflect back on, on your experience at Chicago Falls and the role that your teacher and then Coach Manier played in your life, and then, then you graduate and you're off to college, you know, you, did, you didn't start right off the bat in education, did you? No, so um, I really wanted to. Be, uh, do you guys know who Tom Hamilton is, uh, baseball announcer for the Indians? I, I was hell, I was hell bent. I was gonna be Tom Hamilton. That's what I was gonna do. Okay. And so I started at Ohio State in journalism communication, and um, you know, one of the things that I, I was blessed with so many great influences in education, in coaching. Um, you know, Coach Manier already mentioned Coach Marouche. Um, Coach Phillips, who I co- who had you know coached me throughout high school, and then my brother was uh, my JV coach and an assistant coach throughout my four years as well, mm-hmm. and he'd always been the guy I looked up to. I mean, he was my mentor and my hero forever, and still is to this day. I mean, and I, there, it's a weird thing because I always kind of felt I, I felt like I was in his shadow a little bit because he was a really good player and um, everybody loved him and. Um, so you're kind of growing up in that, and I always aspired to be him, but I didn't want to be him. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, sure. I didn't want to be who he was. Yeah. And so I kind of went away from that, um, trying to be my own person, and so I wanted to get into journalism and communication. And then when I went down to Ohio State and I took a few classes, and I was like, mm, this might not be for me. I don't know if I don't know if I'm suited for this. And then Coach Phillips, who I talked about got a basketball job down in Columbus, asked me to come on and be a volunteer assistant, and instantly fell in love. Okay. Um, and, you know, I kind of got out of that. Why, why do I care? Why, why do I care if I'm if I'm my brother? Like, why do I care if I follow in his footsteps? I should want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it took me, it still took me time to figure it out. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, messed around at Ohio State and was taking classes in class here, class here, class here, and had no real vision of what I was going to do. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do this, and then I'll try to do this. Oh, I'm going to do sports studies. And that led to nothing. And and so I was kind of lost for a while. Like, I knew I wanted to coach, but coaching wasn't going to be the, the career for me. I loved working with kids. How do I get to that point? Okay. And so I came back home here I was um, and started working at Hudson and working in um, uh, the special ed uh, department working with students um, in different classrooms and in a one-on-one setting and as I did that for a few years I realized Man, this is what I want to do and even though I, I knew I wanted to do it I didn't know how to get there um, my brain still wasn't allowing me to uh, figure all that out there was a l- lot of life things going on that you're still trying to okay how do I get from where I am to where I want to be, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I came here and I was coaching uh, the girls' team and um, working in the schools, and again, loved it. But it wasn't where I wanted to be, 
And I finally, you know, I met Annie. And, um, you know, once I met Annie, life just seemed more clear. And here's what I want to do. Um, and, and she helped me. Here's how you do it. You know, and we just, it was a step-by-step -step process. You got to go back to school. You got to do this. You got to make sure you're doing the right things. I mean, I'll be honest, when I was at Ohio State, I'm not sure I was doing the right things in school to get the job done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you go away and you, school came easy to me in high school. Um, I was a good student with good grade point average and got into Ohio State and everything was great. And when I went to school, I wasn't quite as prepared as I needed to be because school was easy for me. If that's one thing I hope you take is that, you know, you, you have to, you have to understand that every new challenge has a different uh, step to it and you have to be able to meet that. And I couldn't early on. It took me till I was 26 years old to be able to meet those challenges. Um, and now, as I sit here, I am continuing, I got my education degree. I've been teaching for three years and now I'm getting more education as I'm getting my master's degree because I do know those steps now and I, I, I know how to get to that next step. And it took me a while to, to do that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the, the roles that our, our spouses have played in our lives, right? You know, and sometimes we have a tendency, uh, you and I seem very similar in the fact that we're kind of late bloomers. You know, I was a late bloomer. I didn't, I, I didn't graduate college, you know, get my degree till, it took me eight years. And it wasn't until I met my wife that she helped bring some of that direction and helped me kind of hone a plan and figure out what I wanted to do. And not only, and I jokingly talk about this where, you know, a lot of times she, you know, I'll say that she told me you got to get your degree before we get married, but that's just one small, you know, funny right. aspect of it. She sat down and she said, okay, let's work towards something. What do you love to do? And we had a lot of the same conversations yes. that you did. And it's good to have people in your life. And I think that the thing about your story that I find amazing is that it, it offers hope to us that it's never too late and that, you know, you are worthy of doing great things. For me, oftentimes it was, okay, I wasn't the best student and I'm not, and then, then I decided to go into education. I'm like, well, you're not worthy to be a teacher. You know, you're not worthy to be a coach and you didn't do as well as, as you should have and, and you, a lot of past regret. But as we get a little bit older and a little bit more mature and a little more vision driven, yeah. you know, the pieces start to fall into place. Yeah, I think, I think for me, and this is something I would tell all the students, but for me, I let not graduating from Ohio State define who I was. Yeah. And I let it be the thing that, well, I went to Ohio State and I didn't get it done. And I let it define me for so long. And the one thing I would say is to you or to anybody out there, don't let one thing define you. Uh, there, there's so much more to, to, to it. And it, it took me a while to figure that once I met Annie, oh, I'm going to have a family. I'm Okay, I'm good. I can do this. I can do more. And who cares about the past? The past should help you get to the future, mm -hmm. which now that I look back on it, it did. But yeah, it was, uh, it was hard for a long time for me. It, I let that, well, I was a great student and then I went to Ohio State and I couldn't get it done. I let that define me for a long time. And so I think that's my biggest, when I tell kids things, it's don't let one mistake define who you are. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes. It yeah. happens. Move on and move forward from yeah. it. Yeah, we, we, that, that seems to be a constant theme to not allow failure to define, but help allow failure to refine. Right. Right. And help you become the best version of yourself. And I had a, I had a real proud dad moment 
Uh, my son wrote a paper for our mutual friend, Mr. Nepp, and he's like, Dad, I gotta read this to you, I gotta read this to you, I gotta read this to you, and we sat down, and that's what it was all about. Uh, it was an argumentative paper, and his argument was that failure is good if you have the proper perspective. And it was one of those moments where I just, I was like, okay, my kid gets it at this age, Man, I wish I would've got it when I was his age. Uh, I would've saved myself a lot of regret, but I would've prevented myself from being fine-tuned and carved as a man and becoming a better version of myself. And, and that's what experience does for us. So you've, uh, you, you are now a teacher and you are now changing lives on a daily basis. Uh, what's been your most favorite experience as a teacher in the classroom? You know, uh, I have a unique perspective because uh, I've worked with kids who have uh, uh, needs greater uh, than some others. And so to watch them succeed, uh, even if it's the smallest thing, um, for instance, you know, my first year I was at the middle school and had a student who just didn't want to go to class, just couldn't get himself to class. And, um, you know, two years later, goes to every class on time, sits there, does the whole thing, does his work. To me, I don't know if I had, I didn't know what the impact I had, but I know that for those times when he wasn't in class and he was with me, we just talked mm -hmm. or we just let him kind of do his thing. And to be able to watch that and to watch students grow um, for me is, is my greatest yeah. success. That's awesome, and, and it is. Uh, we talk often about how that's the bonus check of being a teacher. Yeah. You get to step back and watch your students succeed and know that you quite possibly played a small little piece in their, in their success, and it's the beauty of, of our calling, right? Yeah. And that's what it is, it's a calling. So that, you know, hearing about your, your upbringing and your time in Calga Falls and now your role as a teacher, it's all really exciting and it's it's an amazing story and i think the the cool thing is is how now coaching a basketball team helps you influence more people uh and influence their lives on quite honestly you know a, a lifelong influence on them and i want to talk to you a little bit more about that but first a quick word from our sponsor Welcome back for part two. Uh, Coach, what a great story hearing about how you got into education. Uh, now, one of the things that I've known about you for a long time, and you, and you mentioned that you were competitive, and I've seen that on the golf course, and then I, I have seen it in the, in the gym. I have watched you coach many teams. Uh, as a matter of fact, on my, on my memories on Facebook, <laughs> seven years ago uh, was the district final, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I actually saw that last night. and. Uh, yeah, what a cool memory. What a what a great year that was. Um, you know, that was my first head coaching experience was being here at, at Talmadge, and um, that year was really a culmination of, of four years. You know, we had three seniors who had basically played um, since they were freshmen, Kirsten Lytle, uh, Kelsey Rice, and, and Mary Ryan, um, and had were just fantastic. You couldn't ask for better kids. Um, yeah. But but basketball, you know, they they were they were awesome. And we just put that together. I, it's one of my favorite memories was being able to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, not 
it wasn't even that I got to be that it was I got to be a part of what they did and they earned that they deserved that moment where they got to cut the nets down and a quick funny story was when we were coming back we, we had scouted the district um, semifinal game and on the way back we were, we were coming back and Mary Ryan was in my back seat and she said uh, coach is cutting down the nets a real thing I've never what are you talking about they never they never experienced that and for those of you who don't know if you win a title you get to cut down the nets and you keep a piece of the net and I said yeah, Mary. It's it. So the next day at practice, we actually practiced cutting them down, so we wouldn't look we wouldn't look crazy <laughs> if we actually won. But I wanted them to feel that feeling. But it it was a it was um, that that night, uh, man. That ranks up there pretty high. You know, for, for watching their expressions yeah. uh, uh, was something that I'll never forget. Well, it was exciting for me because I had my daughter and her fifth grade travel team there and we were up in the stands watching and then that was the picture of my fifth graders with with the varsity uh, girls and and now now those girls are seniors they and, went and by it, fast and it wasn't even like those the the seven eight girls that played you know that year they won it but it was funny because I had some former players that had played the previous years that were at the game too mm -hmm. and when they came down and, and we talked after the game I told them this doesn't happen without you. Yeah. And I think that is kind of how I envision a program. Mm -hmm. You know, you might not always reap all the benefits, but you put the pieces in place. You know, I go back to Brittany Lytle, who, you know, is a teacher here at the school now, and Jem Brumball, who were seniors my first year. And their leadership and ability to lead those freshmen who became seniors allowed us to get there. You know, Anna Vassilotti, Haley Congrove, when I think of those those girls, I, my, I still know to this yeah. day, like those are the pieces that got us there. Um, you know, Demi DiLorenzo, uh, yeah, Amanda Brumball, you know, uh, Leah McCooch, like those, those girls that, that did it for us, that got us there, that didn't get the experience cutting the net down, but if, if it wasn't for them, we don't get to that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I try to instill into our players now. Um, this is a family and, and, it, and it's gonna last for a long time. I still get text messages from guys like Liam Tokash and Sammy Seeker and, and those guys who played for me my first year. And they, Sean Ambrose texted me, hey coach, I hope the season's going well. Yeah. Things like that, I hope it just continues because that's what sets the foundation as you can continue to move forward and try to be successful. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot like parenting where, you know, you, I oftentimes think about my kids right now, but one of the things I try to use as a form of accountability for me is that not only am I investing in them, but I'm investing in my grandkids and I'm investing in my great grandkids. You know, what do I want my great grandkids to be like when they're walking this earth? You know, and so I'm pouring into my kids hoping that something sticks and then it gets poured into their kids. And it kind of that legacy kind of continues that that way. And that's a lot of what coaching is. Yeah. Uh, one of our former coaches, uh, Alan Vanderick, would often say that he'll know that he was a successful coach when he's invited to his former players' weddings and then he sees what his former players are doing with their lives. And that's the, the measure of success for any, any successful program. So what made you want to become a coach? I think uh, for me it was, it was knowing that uh, I was having for, the impact of being able to have relationships um, with students and, and being able to um, try to help them grow whether that be basketball or in life. And mm -hmm. I think the reason that I, I felt so strong about it was because I had those people in my life. 
you know, I, I really felt that Coach Veneer um, was a second father to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we talked about everything. And just I learned so many life lessons from him. I felt that's how I could best impact my students was through coaching, teaching, um, and, and just be able to um, guide them in, in ways. And, and, you know, for instance, being able to tell that story about not letting it define you. I, I don't know if I could have told that story five years ago. I didn't have it in me, but mm-hmm. now I do. I hope that impacts one person that they won't quit on something. Yeah. They, it, Billy Graham said it best. A, a, a good coach will impact more lives in one season than most people will in a lifetime. You know, and that for me also is the attraction of coaching. And I oftentimes take coach and I supplement that with teacher as yeah. well, right? It, it's, you're, you're dealing with people, you're, you're pouring into people on a daily basis and you know that the words you speak and the actions you have towards them are impacting them for the rest of their life. It, it's, it really is a, a beautiful thing. You know, this year was very, very different than any other year. Uh, coaching during a pandemic. I mean, we could go an entire hour just talking talking about what it was like, but talk to us and talk to our audience a little bit about what was it like being a coach and how, you know, what are some of the issues that you had to had, had to handle? Yeah, it was excruciating. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, it you know, it was um, trying to balance staying positive for the kids who were coming to the gym every day and trying to keep moving forward, but in the back of my mind, the inevitable doom that could be coming. You know, um, every time my phone rang or my email dinged or I saw Mr. Mosier coming at me, you know, <laughs> and it was funny, Mr. Mosier would say, I feel like I'm the Grim Reaper. It's every, everybody everybody that, too, yeah. that, you know, when I start walking towards them, they like, duck, please don't come to me. And I, it's really how you felt. I mean, because you just, literally you lived minute to minute because you didn't know who you were going to have available, if your team was going to be able to play, what's the next game. I mean, we were scheduling games day before. It was a wild, wild ride. Mm-hmm. And um, while it had its fun moments, it had its down moments, it was just – it was a lot. I, th- I don't think people, uh, you know, and I obviously, you know, eighth grade is very different than a varsity basketball coach. But when you use the word excruciating, that's really what it was. You know, earlier we were talking about being a, dr- a drain or being a fountain. Uh, and it was, it's very difficult when you try to walk into a practice with a particular mindset and in the back of your head, you do know that just like that, it could change. You know, at the eighth grade level, middle school level, it, tra- it changed like every, every couple of days it was changing. Um, but you guys had to deal with a whole bunch of quarantines. Yeah. I mean, talk to me about what it was like when you found out that half your team was going to be quarantined yeah. and these kids, I mean. So for example, you know, what you said, we went, uh, so on a, on a Tuesday, we had found out we had a couple kids that were going to be in quarantine. And then we had a couple kids that were out with possible sickness. And we had 20 on our roster. One was out injured. Actually, two were out injured. So we had 18 on our roster. So we lose two varsity players. We come into practice on Thursday. We're supposed to play Friday, Saturday that week. And we come into practice on Thursday. And varsity and JV, we had 12 guys in practice (laughs) for a variety of different reasons. And you look down at your practice schedule and you say, well, I'm going to crumble this up. And we're going to figure something else out. And that was, you know, some of the news I got was that uh, 
3.15 and we'd practice at 3.30. You know, one day we, we had a little issue with our freshman team. They were supposed to come over and help us out with the varsity because we were limited on players. And they got told not to come to practice. And so myself, Coach Carnath, and Coach Campbell all had to practice so we could have enough guys <laughs> to be able to. And let me tell you, I did not feel good the next day. I don't think, I think I could say the same for the other two as well. Uh, but those were the things that you were constantly dealing with. And it was minute by minute. It wasn't, you know, obviously day by day stuff, but anything could happen at any time of the day. Yeah. So it was, it was you know, and it, and it was just kind of, you just had to, what I tried to do was, and I told our players early on, we're just adapting. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just going to adapt to whatever. We're not going to let it bother us. Whoever we have, we're going to play with. Whatever's going on, we're going we're gonna to work through it and be thankful you get to be out here and playing. And that was kind of our, our mantra was value every day you get to be in the gym. Value every day you get to be next to the guy you're next to. You know, value every time you get to go on a court. And we just kept saying that because we didn't know what the next day was going to bring. Mm-hmm. So value today, we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And I think that was kind of what we tried to instill in them. And there, trust me, there was times deep down inside me, I was a train wreck. I couldn't, I was, how are we doing this? How are we, how am I going to plan a practice in two minutes? Like it was things like that, but we just tried to not let that bog us down as much as possible. What would you say? As you're reflecting, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking about it from a coach and, and a teacher's perspective. So uh, when we're almost a year, we're almost about to celebrate, uh, celebrate or, you know, <laughs> look back on, on a full year of this, this fiasco. How has it changed you as a coach? And you can even go into how has it changed you as a person? I feel like I've always been pretty adaptable, uh, but this has made it even more so. Uh, I think it's, you know, you, you oftentimes uh, let things fester and say, oh, woe is me. You know, well, this kid's out sick today. How are we going to play this game? What are we going to do? we got to change this game plan. We gotta... I think this year helped me get by that, that mental, uh, like, block. You know, it helped me say, oh, well. We gotta, we gotta go to the next thing. We, we can't let little things get us down. And I talk about that a lot with the kids about little things and doing the little things the right way and little things matter. And maybe I wasn't doing it myself. So I had to reflect on that and say, don't let those little things get to you. Let's move forward with what you have in front of you. And uh, I think this year helped me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say even in teaching, you know, there was times when you'd, you'd have a class of two kids instead of the eight that were supposed to be there. You have to adapt. You have to figure out what's next and what you're going for. And I think that this year and all of it helped me be able to kind of get out of that mental block. Yeah, and I look at you know my time coaching as well, and, and, and it relates to what you're talking about, giving up control. There's so much in life that we can't control. Right. And, and so we do have a choice in the way that we respond to what takes place. Are we going to embrace it, learn from it, grow from it, uh, and invest and, in who's there? Or are we going to, like you, the words you chose, they kind of have this woe is me, and then kind of pout about it, and then hold back from, from using it as an opportunity to influence. And, and for me, I, in the, on the court, one of the things that taught me a lot too was just to really hone in on empathy. You know, because it, it really sucked as an eighth grade coach when you were missing players, 
But then I had to step back and think about, okay, well, what, what's this 15-year-old kid thinking when right. he's at home? Right. You know, or 14-year-old kid. What's going through his head? When, you, when, when students aren't in class, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, I got I to gotta get back on Google Classroom, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. Well, wait a second. They're actually at home, quarantined to a room. That sucks. I mean, you're, some of our kids are to the point where watch, binge-watching Netflix and gaming just isn't doing it anymore. And so it really, really spurred that on for me. Um, so as you look at all of these hurdles that you've had to overcome uh, as a coach during COVID, is there, uh, talk to me about the, the, the quarantine. I mean, the, the times, that, the number of days that your kids had to be quarantined. Oh, I don't know if I have the exact amount, but I, I feel like oh, I, we had had like, so we missed the first month and then I feel like overall we had missed like 47 of practices that we would have, 47 days that we would have been together. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that I take the most out of this season, and it, you know, it comes from what you just talked about is how do you get through it? And we were 0-5 and, and you know, we were not good in, in many aspects, including myself. And I was probably the main culprit because I thought we could run an offense that we were not able to run. Um, not to get too technical, but just we just we weren't suited for the offense I thought we were going to be suited for. And I think some of that comes from not having the time in the offseason that we thought we typically have. We might have been able to see that earlier. And so we just couldn't get the job done on the court. And, you know, it made me say, okay, we, we've got to – we don't have a lot of time. You know, we got to try to find some success for these guys. We don't have a full season to keep going with what's not working. And so – I had to get out of that mental block and I had to be able to uh, swallow my pride a little bit, you know, and say, this isn't working. You got to fix it. And to our guys credit, they bought, they never stopped working. They came every day and they did value every day. And when you're 0 and 5 and things aren't going your way, it's really easy to quit mm -hmm. and really easy to say, well, I'm just going to go through the motions to a, to a man, all 20 guys, even the guys who were injured, who came to practice every day, never quit came in and did everything we asked him to do. And because of that, we go to Highland, at Highland, last regular season game of the year. We find a way to get it done. We finish seven and seven, win seven of our last nine. It's not the greatest season in the world, but man, what they went through to get there, they that's success. Yeah, yeah, success is measured very differently this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think about the life lessons that our boys learned when they saw someone who was very committed to a plan and realize through self-reflection that it wasn't working and then you made a quick pivot and you drastically changed things and the life application of that is huge you know throughout life you have a plan and life interferes with it and you have to be able to pivot and transition quickly and learn from that i think one of the and we talk about this a lot with our players and our coaching staff and it's one of the things I would tell all of you, and it came up in Justin Sua's quote today, or you know his, his message. And um, there, we live in this world and this society where if people don't think they're wrong all the time, or that they think their opinion is right, and and that's okay. It's okay to have opinions. I hope everybody has opinions. You should, but disagreeing with somebody doesn't mean disrespect disagreeing is okay it's healthy 
as long as you can have the conversation and you're open to change. Doesn't mean you have to, but you're open to hear others' points of views. I talk to all our players a lot, come up with a couple of our leaders, and I say, I want you to have opinions. I want you to tell me your opinions. I don't know everything. I'm not on the court. You are. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you think. I'll tell you what I think. We'll discuss it. We'll come to a plan. And then once, the, once we've come to a decision, we got to go with it. But just because you disagree with me doesn't mean that you're disrespecting. Just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you're disrespecting. We live in this social media world where if you put your opinion out on Twitter or Facebook and somebody comes back at you and disagrees, well, you hate that person or you can't, that person's bad. I, I, I think that is the biggest problem we have right now. And I think what I'm trying to instill and to everybody that I can is you just have to be open to change. You have to be open to discussion. You have to be open to all of those things. And I think that is not just in our locker room. It's in school. That's outside of school. That's your relationships with your, your loved ones. It's your friends. You have to be able to have those conversations. It's okay to have friends that don't have the same opinions with you. You should have friends that have different opinions than you. I try to have a coaching staff that has different opinions. I tell them all the time, give me anything you got. I want to hear something different so that I can make the right decision. If, if I just go in and think I know it all, it's not going to be successful. That kind of a culture is so very important to create, you know, as a coach where and it's one of the life skills that we try to instill, isn't it? Where we want we want our players to advocate for themselves and feel like they can go, even if they don't see eye to eye with the coach and maybe they don't have the best the best uh, relationship, they still should go to that coach and just say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Help me see it from your perspective because William James said it best. We talk about this quote in class all the time. You know, when two people meet, there are actually six people present. There's how I see you and how you see me. There's how you see you, there's how I see me. And then there's how you really are and how real I really am. You know, so you've got to get to the point where you're sitting down and you're just saying, give me an idea of what's going on between your ears. And as a parent, you know, and my kid plays in the program and. Uh, and by the way, we tabulated him because he was quarantined as well. It was close to 60 days. Yeah, for that, I think, yeah, it was for him. Yeah. And because uh, of his extra quarantine. But just trying to, you know, a lot of times we have this conversation with him or other kids or even my own players. Like a coach sees things differently. And you've got to try to understand from his perspective and then keep those open channels up so he sees it from your perspective. And that helps a team come together. It help, helps a classroom come together. It helps a company come together when you have that kind of a kind of an environment you know um what are going to be maybe your your lasting takeaways like maybe your top two takeaways from this past season and it doesn't have to be necessarily covid related but when you look back on this group and you look back on this season um what are some of the takeaways that you have this group uh through it all and i think it does i think it's hard to not have COVID involved in what your answer is because it did play such a significant mm -hmm. part. Man, you just, they came to practice every day and just worked. Like, you know, it, it's easy to, to, when you are, when you don't know what's going to happen to just kind of come in and, and go to, no, like it was, they came in and even after 0 and 5, they came in every day and they tried to get better. And I really, truly believe we got better mm -hmm. from where we were oh, yeah. here to where we are now. Um, and so to me, that's my, that 
is the lasting legacy for me for this group is that they never quit. Uh, they always had the mental toughness. Um, they always came in and tried to get better, and they did. It's it's one thing to to come in and try to get better, but they did it, mm-hmm. and so that I will always remember this group for. And the other thing I'll say is I really felt this group was a was a solid team. Mm-hmm. You know, they they rooted for each other, they they cared for each other, um, and that's one of the things that I really try to uh, instill. And that was another hard thing about this year. Because of so many restrictions, you couldn't be together like we yeah. normally would. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, is when we were making our tournament run uh, two years ago, my first year here, uh, we do team dinners. And when, once we got to the postseason, we didn't have team dinners sign up. So Annie and I said, we'll have all the kids over to our house and we'll have a team dinner. Well, we did, and then we won, and then the kids said, well, coach, I mean, we have to we have to have another one at your house. So we would have another one, and then we won again, and so we had to have another one at our house. <laughs> yeah. And But I will never forget that because that was coming together. They came together so much as a team and, and bonded, and those were the things they wanted to do. They didn't want to go two guys went here and three guys went here. All 12 of them, 15 of them wanted to be in my basement, hanging out, eating dinner, talking about what was next. Yeah. and. That is something that I think um, we weren't able to quite do this yeah. year because of the restrictions. But as much as we were allowed to do stuff, the team came together and we were able to do that. That's awesome. Well, the unfortunate thing is we're about out of time. I could sit here and talk to you forever, but you have duties and I have duties next block. But I want to give you just the last maybe two or three minutes um, to speak to your seniors. Yeah. You know, it's always a, a, an emotional part of a season when you have to say goodbye to your seniors. You know what? So I'm going to give you the open mic. Uh, so four years, uh, playing four years in a program is not easy. And I think that our four guys, uh, our four seniors, Caden, uh, Nicholas, uh, Ethan, and Will, um, were an embodiment of what our program is. Um, family, commitment, hard work. Uh, to speak individually about them, you know, just real quick, I would tell you that, you know, Will and Caden did not have the most enjoyable junior year. They didn't get to play varsity minutes. They could have easily said, I'm done, I quit, it's over. They didn't, they came back, they worked hard, they got better, um, and they were able to give us a lot of production this year. Um, Says a lot about their character, about the kids they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Very proud of them for that. I look at Ethan Taylor, who is going to play college basketball and could have asked for a lot more when it comes to um, getting shots or getting plays run never did always wanted to be about the team Um, was a steady guy that I knew I could count on all the time on the floor because he always was doing the right things Um, and so that shows a totally different aspect of it and then our last one is Nicholas Lombacher who I mean he started it every game as a junior and this year we went to him and said Nick I think I want to I want to move it around a little bit I think I want to bring you off the bench I'm moving you from the point guard to the three position whatever you need coach whatever whatever you, whatever's wow. best for the team yeah I never hesitated never blinked whatever you need ended up starting a bunch of games for us by the end of it because it, that's the kid he is and he was able to be a good player for us and did all the right things but that mentality of whatever's best for the team and I think if you look at those four seniors that defines them and and my favorite 
quote. We use it every year. And I use this in basketball, but I also personally use it in life. And I think, would you rather be individually great in the midst of mediocrity or individually involved in the midst of something great? Can you sacrifice your own individual achievements for the greater part of the team? Hmm. And if you talk about those four guys, they embodied that. Hmm. And um, I'm, I'm super proud of them because this was not an easy season. And this was not something that they envisioned for their senior year. Yeah. And they got through it. They played hard. And to me, they were successful. Wow. That is a, a phenomenal quote. And that is a, a phenomenal legacy that those four have left behind. And I agree 100%. Those are the things that I've watched these young men do over the past four years. And I'm proud that my son is playing in the shadow of their legacy and will be playing under your leadership over the next couple of years. Coach Johnson, thank you for being our guest this week. And I look forward to resuming this conversation again, yeah. probably on a yearly basis. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to push this out, share it, and give us a rating on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. Thanks for tuning in to Between Two Blue Devils with Mr. Horner and Mr. Johnson. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And also feel free to follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. Horner the Teacher or on Twitter at THS Mr. Underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time, go Blue Devils.